Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. Hey everyone, I want to tell you guys about an experience that me and my brother shared about two years ago. So, we were deciding to go somewhere hunting during the day, and there's a cemetery in Santa Cruz that we wanted to check out. We go in and walk around, and nothing out of the ordinary happens, so we decide to leave. The cemetery is on a supposed haunted road that leads up into the woods, and this road is said to be haunted by a lady in white that tries to hitchhike into your car with you. I had forgotten about this fact until after the day. But anyway... Along this road that we were driving down, it leads into a forested area. A couple of miles down from the cemetery, you can pull to the side of the road and walk along this hiking trail. So we decide to hike this trail because I completely forgot the road was also haunted, so I wasn't even looking for anything paranormal. But we start hiking this trail in the afternoon. Ten minutes into the trail and... We stumble along abandoned train tracks and a barely standing bridge for the train that used to run alongside of those tracks. It looks cool, so we decide to go down this hill right by the bridge that lets you go under the dilapidated bridge. We go down there and we just sort of mess around for a bit, looking at the cool architecture and all that. After we had our view, we start back up the hill that leads back to the trail. But when we get to the top, we're a little bit exhausted because the hill is kind of steep and you have to use the trees around you as sort of leverage to climb back up. So we're just kind of standing around back on the trail when we both notice something out of the ordinary. We hear a, a voice like a, a grown man shouting and screaming really angrily. And when I say angry, I mean this guy was furious. And what I mean is that the voice sounded like a, a rage-filled, hatefully murderous man taking it out on someone. We quieten down and I can tell the voice is pretty far away. In fact, it almost sounded like it was in the mountains around us. It sounded more than 500 feet away for sure though. We both just look at each other like, what was that? We stand around listening for like 15 seconds and 
The next thing we know, the voice came down the trail from what sounded like hundreds of feet away to being like right down the end of the trail. And I mean, the inhuman speed the voice came closer to us was definitely unnatural. I noticed the voice coming from down the trail and I'm thinking to myself, this voice sounds like it's from someone who's about to kill someone out of rage. But the weird thing is that the voice is speaking in what I can only call is like gibberish. I understood not one word it was saying. I instantly get this final flight feeling all in my body because this voice starts getting very loud and closer to us at inhuman speeds. I tell my brother to pick up some huge sticks with me to defend ourselves with because even though the voice came out of nowhere and moved down the trail at lightning speeds, I still had the assumption that it was some kind of a crazy person ready to kill someone. But we pick up the sticks and then we just run down the trail back to the car as quickly as we can. But here's the weird part. So as we're running away from this voice that's coming down the other end of the trail, I hear the voice come up behind us in like an instant. It sounded like he was no more than 10 feet behind us, I would guess, chasing us back to the car. I turn around, even though I don't want to, because I have to see how close this psycho is from us. And as I look back and hear the voice right behind me, I don't see anyone. I tell my brother to run faster because the voice is right behind us yelling in absolute rage, but I don't see anyone chasing us. We start picking up speed though and the craziest thing in my life happened because the voice starts panning around us in like a 360 audio. What I mean is that I hear the voice yelling in gibberish right behind me, then it starts to pan to my left through the trees just off the trail, then the voice is right in front of us and it slides to the right side of the trail and then back to behind us, all in a matter of at most like 10 seconds. At this point though, me and my brother really creeped out obviously and ran the rest of the trail back to the car. The voice kept following us down the trail and I remember after hearing the voice panning around us and hearing it reverberate through the woods, I started praying to God to help me come out of this one alive and after we make it around halfway down the trail to my car, the voice just instantly disappears. I remember slowing down exhausted and we start talking about what we heard. I asked my brother if he also heard the voice slide in circles around us and he said that he heard it too. And at that point I knew that I wasn't hallucinating or imagining it. I asked my brother if he heard how it sounded like gibberish too but sort of like a man screaming at the top of his lungs in rage and he said that he heard the same thing. We finally get into the car and I drive us the heck out of there in a heartbeat. I remember the car ride was silent for like five minutes as we just sort of sat there thinking about what just happened. I think it was at that point too that I remembered that the whole road was allegedly haunted and that not just the cemetery was. I had been down that trail alone a few months before this experience though and I had nothing weird happen, nothing like this anyway. This was one of the weirdest things that I've ever experienced in my life though. And to this day, I have never gone back down that trail and I never plan on it either. Everything that I've shared with you guys though, as crazy as it sounds I know, is the absolute truth and I promise you that I haven't altered anything. The Santa Cruz area and the mountains are known for cults and some pretty dark magic being performed in them apparently. 
And if you guys have any questions about our experience, then please feel free to ask. And also, if you have any ideas about what happened, then I really would love to hear your thoughts. In August, me and the lads got together and decided to visit an abandoned World War II barracks that was hit by bombs. I was carrying a knife on me because, well, it comes in very handy from time to time. And this is kind of vital to the story as well. So we explored the exterior in search of an entrance until we found a smashed in window in the east wing that wasn't hit as bad. The window had been long since smashed in and there was now no glass anywhere. So we climbed in and arrived in a bare concrete room, and immediately I heard something skitter across the floor, presumably a mouse. We walked through the corridors and rooms of the east wing until we came into what we thought was the sick bay, which was in the west wing that was hit badly by bombs. This one room that we go into has rubble around the entrance, and the wooden roof is caved in as well, and there's ash and the walls are blackened and whatnot. At the back of the room there is this sort of blackened and rusty metal desk, and the desk has a drawer in it. I try to open the drawer, but it's sort of rusted shut, so I go to pull out my knife and pry it open, but when I do, it isn't there. I assume that I must have dropped it on the way in or something, and that I would have to find it on the way out, so I use a rotting plank of wood instead and try and pry it open. But when I finally do get it open, I receive probably the biggest shock of my life, because inside... There is my knife and a rusty ashtray with a smoldering cigarette in it, meaning that it must have been put in there while we were in the room. And well, at that, we just legged it out straight away. Now, we try to dismiss it as a delinquent playing tricks on us or something, but all of us know that the drawer was rusted shut and that there was a smoldering cigarette in there that must have been put there whilst... We were in that barracks at some point. When I was 16, I would nanny for two boys, Brandon who was 8 and Randy who was 15. Now, Randy had mental health problems because he was born with liquid in his brain or something like that. Either way though, he really was a sweetheart, but you could tell that something was off by the way that he walked and moved his hands. They also had a dog, Gunner, that was an Akita and Yellow Lab mixed. This dog was huge and very protective. I watched the kids every other week, all day Monday and Friday. Gunner watched everything that I did the first week. I had to gain this dog's trust. That first week the dog made me uneasy because if I was with the kids and they'd start being loud and rambunctious, he would get between me and the boys and start growling. This happened even if I wasn't playing with them and happened to be near them. Gunner learned to trust me pretty quickly though and there were two times that Gunner actually saved our lives. So the boys lived in a pretty rough neighborhood, not scary or anything but just rough around the edges. We went for a walk to the playground a couple of blocks away and a white van slows down by us. There were a bunch of ghetto guys yelling at us from the windows saying inappropriate things to me, the female and calling Randy horrible names about his condition. I said, just ignore them guys, in a sort of hushed voice as I shifted and pulled myself and Gunner between the kids. Gunner, though, didn't take his eyes off the van full of them. The tension pulled the fur on his back straight up, signaling to us that he was in protective mode. 
As the men kept yelling at us, I pulled my phone out and started dialing 911. But I didn't hit send before Brandon started yelling back, defending his brother. And then, everything happened so quickly. The slider back door to the van opened and the two men jumped out. I remember screaming run at the boys just as Gunner ripped himself free from my grip on his leash. And everyone started running except me. The boys sprinted home, the dog sprinted towards the van and I frantically tried dialing 911. Gunner chased the man back into the van nearly grabbing the leg of one of the men and they sped off. Gunner received a lot of treats and praises when we returned home that day, let me tell you. But the second time, this one still really freaks me out. So, I was allowed to have friends stop by since I practically lived there anyway, and the boys liked hanging out with my wholesome teenage friends too. If it was a male though, I would always have to go outside and hug them where Gunner could see and talk to them for a few minutes on the porch. Gunner would sort of assess them. Normally he would let them inside without trouble after that, but there was one friend that he just wouldn't let inside without coaxing. Gunner would never actually bite anyone unless they attacked, just for context, but one day uh, a man came to the door, knocked and said that he had to drop something off for their mum who was supposedly expecting him. We could see through the window that he seemed like a gentleman and was really nice, but as I approached the door, Gunner sort of cut me off. He started barking at the door insanely, his back stood higher than my hips mind you, and at the time I was a pretty small girl and the dog just sort of forced me back. Gunner literally prevented me from being able to reach the doorknob. He was gentle with me, but still forceful. I yelled back to the guy to leave whatever it was on the porch, but he seemed pretty insistent, saying things like, Can you really not just unlock the door for a minute? Come on, Randy knows me, etc. But in the end, I just had to tell him that I physically couldn't get to the door, so I could call the mum for him if he wanted. But then the man got really weird and was like, oh, No, that's not necessary. I'll just come back another time, okay? And just sort of rushed off. Anyway, the guy had some distinct features and when I described him to the mum later, she informed me that she had no idea who he was and that she wasn't expecting anything. We never did find out who he was either and he never did come back. But anyway... I think Gunner was onto something that day, and I'm sure glad that he was there. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Around November of 2019, I was running to a Target or something for some cupcakes decorating supplies before meeting my aunt and cousin for lunch later that day at a relatively nice restaurant. This being the case, I was slightly dressed up, nothing too fancy, but I did look slightly older. It was around 10 in the morning and I was walking to my car from the Target. I parked pretty far back in the parking lot because I hate fighting for parking spaces. When suddenly, a truck quickly pulls into a parking spot a little in front of me, and a man gets out. I was pretty freaked out as he started to walk up to me, and he asks if I'm single and tells me that I'm the most beautiful woman that he's ever seen. I tell him that I'm actually underage and have a boyfriend. I was lying about the boyfriend, to which he replies that he would wait. This dude had to be at least 40 though, and... He then gets back into his truck and backs into a spot at the back of the parking lot of this particular shopping center. I was about halfway to my car at this point, but no way in heck was I going in my car because he was just sort of sitting there watching me. So instead, I walked into a nearby frozen yogurt place. I looked visibly panicked and I quickly grabbed a cup of yogurt and tried to look natural because this guy was looking at me through the windows. I called my best friend who lives in the neighborhood close to the shopping center and he quickly said that he'd be there soon. About 10 to 12 minutes later, my friend came and he picked me up from the yogurt place. When we pulled out of the parking lot, the dude in the truck started to follow us though. We started to drive around as I texted my aunt that I needed to push the lunch back about 30 minutes. My friend and I took a bunch of back roads in the area and drove through some confusing neighborhoods, but eventually we lost the guy. My friend is an absolute hero for this and he took me back to my car in the parking lot. I was going to run some more small errands before going to lunch but that obviously didn't happen that day. For a bit of background, I actually live in a pretty rural area. Not too rural where the nearest house is like a mile away or something but definitely the back roads of a small town. My house lies on a six-acre plot that was sort of half-cut grass, half-forest, and had a pond. We shared a long, curvy driveway with two other neighbors on a hill, and that was pretty much it, though. So, it was late summer, and I got the whole house to myself for most of the day, and well into the night as well. My mom and two brothers were in Utah to visit our sister in college. My dad was working. My dad was working late, and my little sister was at a marching band competition, my little sister and I stayed behind because we both had youth camp that began two weeks before the trip to Utah was going to be over. But anyway, it was around 10pm and I was just sort of hanging out in the living room where the computer was located watching some YouTube. Our living room had a sliding door that opened to a deck and then to the massive yard so I could see the road that went behind our house faintly if I turned on the back light. I started to get hungry at some point and so I got up from the living room and walked to the kitchen to grab a snack. The kitchen had a few windows so I could look out on the front lawn and the driveway. I peeked out because I was bored and I saw a black truck drive by the road at the bottom of the hill slowly which was strange considering that I've only seen people speed down and pushing 70 miles per hour. It's the back road so no cops ever come by. But in the end I just sort of shrugged it off and went back to watching some YouTube in the living room but my eyes kept drifting out to the road behind our house where... I keep seeing this black truck. 
I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but that street was actually a dead end, so a truck driving up and down it at like 10pm was a little bit weird. I was getting pretty tired though, and so I went upstairs to my bedroom, which also had a very good view of the backyard, but it was pretty dark, so hard to see. And I don't really remember what time it was when I heard an engine rev at what seemed to be out of the shared driveway. I kind of bolted up and being the paranoid person that I was, I assumed the worst. And quite frankly, I think it was my paranoia that actually saved me this day because I crept down the stairs to get a look to smooth myself over and prove that nothing was there. But looking at the kitchen window, I saw the black truck in my part of the driveway headlights off and faint shadows of two guys climbing out. Freaking out now, I paced a bit, trying to think, but nothing more came to my mind than to grab a knife and hide, and so that's what I did in the end. I hide behind a corner next to the door, and I heard two knocks. Once they faded away, I heard the door handle begin to jiggle, and I took a deep breath and yelled out, I have a weapon! Get away from my house or else I'll use it! I said this so loud too that I probably woke up both the neighbors by the simple volume of it. A moment later, I heard the faintest, oh crap, and then soon after, the sound of tires quickly going down the dirt driveway and fading away. I was so scared that I was shaking, but around midnight, my dad finally came home with my little sister, who also got first place, props to her, and I didn't speak anything of it anymore. Most people trying to break in will run off when they find out someone is still home, so making any noise will raise your chances to avoid a robbery. If I wasn't so paranoid, though, that I had to go and check to calm myself down like I did, I probably would have been in much more danger. A kidnap, a rape, killed, I don't know, but I think back to that day once in a while, and I'm probably never going to stay home alone, very late anyway, ever again. My parents had a friend who was a single mother of a child around my age, just a year older. And because of that, we obviously got to hang out together on multiple occasions for years on end. When we were around seven or eight years old though, my mum let her have her first sleepover at my house. Everything was doing fine, that is, until the sun went down. So we wanted to stay up extra late that night, and so we snuck out of my room to play some more after my parents went to bed. After a while of sneaking around, we decided that we wanted to eat some cereal. I was going through a phase at the time too, where all I wanted to eat was Cap'n Crunch. And like lots of families, we had our main fridge in our kitchen and another in our basement. At the time, our basement was unfinished. It was huge, almost the size of our whole house in fact, with three concrete walls and one that was made of a huge grey brick. Our laundry room, if you could call it that, was in the top right corner, behind some wooden slat stairs with the gaps between them and against the brick wall. But the laundry room wasn't actually a laundry room, just a corner with a washer or dryer and the extra fridge on the square of carpet that we laid out so it was softer to stand on than the cold concrete floor when we did the laundry. I was naturally terrified of the basement as a kid as well because the corner underneath our wooden stairs had just a single light bulb hanging freely over the laundry room. The brick wall, which was to the right of the laundry appliances, also had a huge brick missing up by the exposed ceiling with all the creepy tubes and the pink fluffy insulation and all that stuff. 
There was also a crawl space on the other side of the brick wall. Nothing really interesting there, and I wasn't really ever allowed to see over it, but that didn't stop my child brain from imagining stuff on the other side. Obviously, I didn't go down there for my irrational fear of the creepy basement. So, of course, we opened the main fridge upstairs and realized that we have no milk. My friend insists, though, that she has to have some cereal and that we should check the downstairs fridge. Immediately, I affirm that there was no way I was going down there, especially because it was dark, late at night, and it was just the two of us. Somehow, though, she ended up convincing me, and soon we were creeping down the steps. We had turned on the switch, but it was still so dark, since the only light was above the laundry corner. It was conveniently behind the staircase that we walked down in, lighting the way through the gaps on the steps. But once we got down there, I sort of felt braver than ever, I must admit. I got that uh, childlike surge of adrenaline, I guess, and I thought that I was the toughest kid ever. I think my friend felt that same way too, because as soon as we turned around and got to the laundry corner, we started sizing up the room into a that-wasn't-so-bad kind of way. I continue walking to the fridge on the far left to get some milk, and she keeps standing there. At some point between my walk from the start of the carpet to the fridge, she had seen a, an old pile of toys that we kept down in the bottom right corner, straight ahead from the top right corner that we were in. I just opened the fridge when I hear her start to scream. I quickly turn around and she's standing directly across from me. Her mouth is wide open, her eyes slightly raised up and shaking, and she's doing what looks like high knees in place as she flaps her arms around. Just pure fear. I scream because she is, and we're both up the stairs like darts. As soon as we get to the living room, she throws herself belly down on the floor and starts kicking like a madwoman. My parents come running, of course, and think that she's having a seizure on the floor or something. When they scoop her up, they realize that that's not the case. She just starts sobbing, too. They ask her what's wrong, what hurts. I'm just standing there staring at her with tears streaming down my face. I've never seen someone that terrified in my life to this day. Not even in horror movies or anything. They couldn't get any response besides a hysterical, there was a man with a hat, there was a man with a hat down there. Until she finally calmed down to just crying. Mum actually came and picked her up and my dad went searching around the basement for some man with a bat. I got a talking to for staying up past my bedtime and that was pretty much that. I was put back in my room but I slept with the lights on that night and I didn't see her ever again after that. At least not until years and years later. And when I did talk to her, years later when she came up on my Facebook, I found out that she had been in and out of a mental hospital for years since. But I've had a specific experience in the same house that makes me feel like that she isn't so crazy, but that perhaps that thing made her crazy. We moved a few years after we had fully renovated the house and I haven't been there since, but I did see this hat man myself. A fedora tipped down so you could see his face, a long trench coat and what looked like to be sort of like dog-like paws with long claws, which sounds really, really strange, I know, and just typing it out makes me think that, who knows, maybe, maybe I'm insane too.
2017, I was walking my fiancé's dog around our complex. It was pretty dark and creepy on a good night, but this time it was just way more off than usual. Something just really didn't feel right to me and I noticed a car slowly creeping down the way next to me. My gut dropped and something in my head just said run, so I did this and... As I got out of sight, I saw the car crawl up to the area and pick up speed and drive off as if scanning for someone. Now, under normal circumstances, this would just be simple paranoia, but it was not a normal time. So I live in Tampa, and at that time our city was on edge because a new serial killer had popped up and had at this point already killed four people. His method seemed to be killing random people in the evening or early, early morning hours by shooting them. Even though they were all in one area, the police had that part of the city locked down, so many assumed that he'd either hold off or start in another area. Literally a few days after this happened too, the police, they actually got the guy, and it turns out that he lived right down the road from our apartment. I am glad that I trusted my gut that day, because... I'm pretty convinced that I would have been his fifth. So in the middle of quarantine, only mum can leave the house to buy us some food. And yesterday morning at around 9am, mum said that she's going to go and get some food for lunch and she said that she might be back home late and then she left. I was watching TV while eating breakfast and... Maybe about 30 minutes later, I would say, I saw mum enter the house empty-handed. I tried talking to her, but she just didn't respond. She just continued walking until she enters her own bedroom, and I ignored it because I think that she's just changing her clothes or something. But at around 11am, mum just arrived, carrying some meat and vegetables that she bought from the markets, and I was really confused because... Oh, I remember her coming home before. I explained to her what happened and she also has no idea because she never came home earlier. I let her enter her bedroom to see if there was anybody inside but she didn't see anyone. There was no one in her bedroom and also her bedroom stayed the same as after she had left the house so I were pretty sure that it wasn't some random thief or something. This left her confused though and she said that I was just having hallucinations or maybe I should go see a psychiatrist or something but I don't know. What do you guys think? This story happened when I was in college. There was just something about my early years in college too that just seemed to bring on a slew of experiences that range from creepy to terrifying. I don't know what it was about that time in my life, but this experience was somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. So one night at the beginning of summer, following my freshman year of college, some of my high school friends and I were going to a party. We hadn't seen a ton of each other in the preceding years because of us all being away at college and whatnot, mostly just during school breaks and a few random weekends here and there, so we were all feeling kind of giddy at having the whole summer together. I wouldn't have normally gone to this party too, hosted by someone else that we went to high school with, but they all wanted to go and I wanted to hang out with them, so I ended up agreeing. And this was not the mistake that I made in this story either. That would come later this night. 
We got to the party and we realized that it was almost exclusively people from high school, which was kind of nice actually. It was like a sort of a big reunion almost. Soon my prior inhibitions were gone and that was only partially because I started throwing back screwdrivers the moment that I got there. But a couple of hours later I was more than a little tipsy. No, I was definitely not full on drunk and for sure not fully plastered yet, which would prove to be my saving grace in this story in fact. After a while, a group of my friends decided to split off. The host of this party, Stephanie, lived in her parents' house still, and it was in the middle of nowhere, basically near a forest. Forests at night both scare and enthrall me, so drunk me suggested that we go exploring. This is something that my friends would never let me live down, like ever. But anyway, this group, Lauren, Hillary, Jared, Alex, Hugo, Dean, and the hostess Stephanie, plus myself obviously, decided to go into a midnight walk through the woods. It was pretty creepy, not gonna lie, but in a sort of cool way, at least I thought so. A couple of people in the group, namely Hillary and Alex, were pretty afraid, but Hillary went because her best friend was Lauren and Alex had a thing for Hillary and Lauren as well, which was a whole thing in and of itself, and not the point of this story. But because they were both there, I thought that I should mention them. They kept making comments about how creeped out they were, and I just kept telling them to relax a bit. No one else is out here, I told them. Well, let's just enjoy this time together. Being drunk makes me weirdly sentimental. But we walked through the forest for a bit, and then we came into this clearing with a lake and a dock and tall grass and all that sort of stuff, plus a shed and what turned out to be a boathouse, I think, both of which had definitely seen better days. Now, Stephanie and I were definitely not exceedingly close, so this was my first time exploring this forest, but Dean and Hugo had been here before and remembered this place. They mentioned that they thought that Stephanie's parents forbade them from going back here because it wasn't their property, which was true, and it was like suddenly Stephanie realized where we were. I wasn't the only drunk one, okay, and her eyes got super wide and she looked really nervous all of a sudden. Not scared exactly, but more like worried that we get in trouble, and she said that we should go back. I told her that everything was fine, since we can totally trust the judgement of a drunk person, and because everyone else was drunk, they all agreed with me, save for Steph, but she was outnumbered and not about to go back home alone. Even Hillary and Alex were okay with staying, and because Logic is a friend of drunk people everywhere, I suggested that we play hide and seek, and mostly everyone agreed. Honestly too, I don't know why people kept listening to me. It was weird, but if I'd been sober, this was the kind of place that I would have been kind of freaked out about. In a cool way, sure, but not in a let's play hide and seek kind of way. And this is where things took a turn for the worse. So Hugo was forced to be it because we were terrible and told him that he didn't have a choice. So we went into the woods and he counted while we ran into hide. I saw Dean dart into the shed, but everybody else ran into the woods. I decided to duck down in the tall grass, which varied in height. Sometimes I could kneel, and sometimes I had to be on my stomach to be totally concealed. But as I was hiding, I heard voices from the trees nearby, whispers like the speakers were trying not to be heard. I was curious, so I made my way towards the voices, first on my hands and knees, and then eventually army crawling as the grass got shorter. And I nearly crapped myself when I ran into Stephanie in the grass, who turned out to be doing the exact same thing as me. 
When we got closer, we realized that it was Lauren and Jared, and that was how Steph and I realized they liked each other. We were listening to them flirt and looking at each other hopefully, and I swear we had a telepathic conversation about how good they would be together, but that was when we heard someone barreling towards us through the grass. Heart pounding, I turned to see who it was, just as Hugo threw himself down next to Stephanie and me, and he looked terrified. Hugo, what the heck, man? I whisper hissed because there was no way that he counted as high as we were making him. We were being real jerks to Hugo that night. I feel sorry for him too, but he first looked around frantically, but then he told us what had him spooked. I will never forget this because of the sheer terror that I saw in Hugo's face that night, and I heard in his voice too. Guys, there's something in the woods, he told us. Stephanie tried to tell him that it was probably somebody else from the party, but Hugo said no. He said that he'd seen the guy and hid behind a tree, and this guy seemed to be in his 40s. He said the guy looked rough too, and he just had a bad feeling, so he booked it. And in the end, it was just sort of happen chance that he found Stephanie and me in the grass like that. Listen, he's looking for something, or someone, Hugo said, telling us that the guy was shining a flashlight around. And as if on cue, someone came walking out of the woods then he called out, Hey Jim, you out there? He sounded kind of angry and now I felt stone cold sober. This wasn't right and it was about to get a lot worse because that was when we saw the shadow of someone rowing a boat down the lake toward the dock. The first guy walked into the dock to meet this guy, Jim presumably, and I heard him demand, Where is he? The first guy sounded angry like he was expecting another person to be there too and the second guy, Jim, informed the first, oh, listen men, I screwed up. They proceeded to argue though I couldn't hear what they were saying and then they went into the boathouse. I was pretty sure that nobody had hidden in there but I was worried about that plus the fact that two shifty guys were doing what seemed to be pretty shifty things. We needed to get out of there in other words, I knew that. But Dean was unfortunately still in the shed, which was too close to the boathouse for comfort given the situation. Lauren and Jared were now making out and totally oblivious to the whole thing, and Hillary and Alex were who knows where. Why had I suggested hide and seek in the first place? I'll never know. But that was what I kept asking myself while I tried to formulate a plan. Then we heard someone running through the woods, but like they were trying to do so quietly, and I turned to see Hillary. It looked like she was trying to find somewhere else to hide, unaware of what was happening, and I saw her run towards the boathouse, and it was like time stopped, and I didn't know what to do, or how to stop her, or what to say. Honestly, I just froze, but then Hillary hesitated when she got to the door. She would later tell us that the voices she heard inside gave her a pause to think. Thank God. And then... The door swung open. It was honestly like something out of a movie too. Hillary was now hiding behind the open door and the first guy stood in the doorway looking around. Looking back, I think he must have heard Hillary who was not being nearly as quiet as she thought that she was. If he closed that door from the outside then he would definitely see Hillary and then we would all be truly screwed. 
Luckily, he went back inside, though, and thankfully he closed the door as well. We had to get the heck out of there, though, but we still had to get Dean somehow, Lauren and Jared as well, and find Alex. We didn't have a lot of time. I didn't think anyway, so we had to be quick. And then, suddenly, Hugo stood up, cupped his hands around his mouth, and bellowed out a cacaw. He apparently thought that we were in a movie, and... I just looked at him with a what-the-heck-Hugo expression on my face. It was not what I would have done, but I'll be damned. It actually worked. Hillary came sprinting towards us, as did Alex, who had been hiding behind the boathouse the whole time. Likewise, Dean emerged from the shed, and Lauren and Jared detached themselves from each other. But alas, the two men in the boathouse heard us too and came busting out, but by that point, we were all sprinting away. I swear that I've never before nor since run as quickly. And at one point, Stephanie tripped and I practically ripped her arm out of her socket while pulling her to her feet. Sorry, Steph. The guys chased us for a bit at least. Though I don't know how long because we just kept running until we got back to Stephanie's house. The party was still going and the men hadn't followed us beyond the woods. But we were too freaked out to stay called my brother who came to pick us up and we all left. Even Stephanie, who left her house unattended save for the drunk partygoers, ended up going as well. We spent the night at my brother's house that night and then we went back to Steph's house to clean up the next day because, honestly, this experience kind of bonded us in a weird way. Lauren and Jared are actually married now. Hillary and Alex were both in the wedding. Alex even briefly mentioned this incident in his speech. I lived with Dean for a bit following college and Hugo is one of my best friends now, as is Stephanie, which is weird because we weren't really friends before that. But I swear that we thought that we were honestly going to die that night, all of us, except maybe Lauren and Jared. Even Dean heard what was happening outside the shed and was waiting for the right time to make his escape. And you can't really go through something like that and not come out closer. It's strange too, but also kind of nice, like we have this shared history which was true before this because of going to school together, but it's just different now. I did want to go back to investigate in the light of day as well, but only Dean wanted to go with me and I thought that maybe that wasn't enough people if we ran into trouble. I was still pretty spooked, though intrigued. Stephanie told us later though that she had told her dad when her parents got home later that day and he and a few of his friends went back there and didn't find anything out of the ordinary and they moved shortly after but not because of this so we never actually found out exactly what happened there but we've also never forgotten it. In conclusion though like I said I really don't know what happened that night but whatever those guys were up to it was definitely no good. And the fact that they chased us through the forest like that without yelling at us or trying to capture our attention or something says to me that they were trying to capture us quietly. So about a year ago, I moved into a new apartment. It was my second year living alone. The city was relatively small and I go to the local university there. And one night I was just bored at home and decided to set up a Tinder date. I was talking to this apparent normal guy and he asked if he could come over to my place. At the time I didn't see anything wrong with that so I invited him and said that I lived alone. 
About 20 minutes after the message, he arrives at my apartment wearing a black hoodie, big earphones, and he asked if there were security cameras in the hallways, which was weird. I said that there were a couple though, and from that I could feel that I may have just made a bad mistake. He got into my apartment though, and we made out for like 10 minutes in bed. Then he asked if he could try some of his kinks on me. At that moment, I wasn't thinking rationally anymore, and I said, sure. And he started biting my neck, and my chest, and my legs, and then he started with some really weird stuff. He started pinching me really hard in the between-me-down-there part, pulling my skin and just really digging his nails into my body. At this time, I was completely panicking and was asking him to stop, but he wouldn't. And then to top things off, he started choking me and I couldn't get him off of me because he was like this huge buff dude. At last though he stopped and I rushed into the bathroom saying that I needed to pee. In no time as well I grabbed a knife, locked myself in the bathroom and called my other friends to come and help me. I got out and told him to get out of my apartment or I would call the police. And to my surprise he actually tried to attack me but I had a knife in my hand and I started screaming. After hearing my doorbell, he quickly got dressed and he just rushed down the stairs. I guess the moral of this story is to please be careful when bringing strange people to your home. This scared me for life and I never, ever will be going on another Tinder date again. This is a story about a man named John that I met while working retail. John is an older white man in his mid-fifties, well-dressed, well-spoken, shoulder-length steel-gray hair and a low ponytail tied back. At the time, I was working at a farm and pet supply store. I was called over to help a customer look at electric fences and shock collars for dogs, which I am steadfastly against, but I had to help the customer. I asked him what I could help him with, and he said that he was interested in an electric fence for his dogs, since he had a cabin in the woods and wanted to make sure that they didn't get away, and he said, Oh yes, I'm looking to use this shock collar. Maybe on you? Thoroughly creeped out, I tried to laugh it off and tell him no thank you. I finally got someone who knew more than I did, and I thought that that would be the end of it, but of course it wasn't. The next time that he saw me, he said, I've been looking for you. I bought what I wanted. It didn't know what you said. I wanted to slap you the next time that I saw you. I told him that if he ever did hit me, that I would absolutely hit him back. So then a few days later, he told me that he would really, really like to take me out to lunch one day, and I politely declined. He would come into the store and look for me. I'd see him before he saw me. One day I saw him first, I hit him until I thought that he'd left, but no, he found me in the back of my department. He said, Oh, uh, just so you know, I'm not dressed up for you today. I have a meeting with the bank, but if I didn't, I'd be taking you out for lunch. You know, I can tell you dyed your hair. You look so beautiful, but that doesn't mean anything to you, does it? But you know what? It might mean something if you liked me back. He was never banned from the store, and even after one of my managers heard him say these things to me, but my co-workers would tell me when he was in the store and help me get away from him until he left. I haven't seen him since I quit, and I'm really thankful for that, because, man, 
was he one weird dude? G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.